Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. your story first because for those of you who don't know your story yeah so um five years and ten months ago I was diagnosed with a really rare form of endometrial cancer so at the time I was told I was the second person in the world to ever have it and the first person didn't survive so that's what I was looking at very scary gave you three months um initially they gave me six to nine months to live that was their prediction and my oncologist surgeon said, we recommend you have it all cut out. They're like, he goes, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to sacrifice, but that's what we recommend for your best chance of survival. And even then, you're looking six to nine months. So it's a very big, scary thing. And then as it got closer, I had to go for a lot of tests and constant appointments and it got worse. So it went from just a surgery to now we're looking at lymph nodes. Now we're going to have to resection your bowel. We're going to have to resection stomach. So it started growing. Um, and as a church, we prayed very hard. And what turned in what was meant to be a 14-hour surgery with all of these things happening, turned into an eight-hour surgery of just the cancer being removed. Everything else. So I got to keep my lymph nodes. I got to keep everything else. And that's because we were praying so hard. So anyway, along the way, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> so anyone who's had anything to do with cancer knows that it doesn't stop there. You come out of the surgery and you have your healing, like your recovery time. But then you've got these constant checkups. And leading into everyone, you get a little bit nervous because this is the time when they're going to say, either you're still clear or it's back. So I am now five years and 10 months on, and I have just been told that I am clear. Officially. No more tests. No more tests. I have been discharged from the oncologist, meaning I never have to go back to him. And, (laughs) yeah, it's great. The good news keeps coming. Um, Out of, so at the time of the surgery, but five years ago, I was the second person in the world. I'm now, there's now three people who have had this. I'm now the sole survivor. Um, And my chance of it coming back, as in the words of the surgeon, was 0.00001% chance of ever coming back for that cancer. So that's amazing. Then those of you who have been here since like April, May this year know that I was going through another health issue in that my organs were randomly shutting down. So my liver was shutting down, my pancreas started shutting down. And one by one, all my organs were shutting down. So again, we came to pray and we did a lot of prayer again. And in my recent blood tests and all my tests that I've just done, um, the doctors have all confirmed that every one of my organs is working at 100% capacity now. Isn't that amazing? Let's stand to our feet and give the Lord a hand. We need to be grateful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. 
Who wants more of that? Who wants to see more of that? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. I want to unpack perhaps some keys uh, to help you to understand how when Jesus died on the cross, took the keys of hell and death, and took the keys with him to sit at the right hand of the Father, then released those keys to anyone who believes in him. This morning, I want to tell you, you are the possessor of those keys. And I want to unlock some things inside you this morning that perhaps have been locked up through misunderstanding, unbelief, or just sheer laziness, or comfort. God wants to unlock stuff right now in this generation that we have never seen before. Right across the earth right now, there are prophets speaking, including myself. Just getting, we're, just getting, we're just getting smashed by God. You know, this morning I could barely get out of my lounge chair. God is, is, is so ready to pour out so much more on us. And all he's looking for is a hungry and a willing people who will just go the extra mile and shake off everything that holds them bound. Amen? You know, we generally live... Oh, that's fine. Thanks, Jill. We generally live in a three-dimensional world. Is that right? Do you understand that? Are we three-dimensional? So I'm not flat, am I? Well, don't. who said fat? No, I'm not fat or flat. I'm three-dimensional. We're three-dimensional beings. But in some areas of our lives, who know that we're reduced to two-dimensional? So I'm reading off this page right now. This is a two-dimensional thing that I'm reading from. But as I read it, Somehow I'm able to switch from two-dimensional into three-dimensional as I bring my imagination into play, as I bring, uh, you know, my arms into my, <laughs> my Italian arms into play. I bring it into the three-dimensional realm out of the two-dimensional realm. We know that when we read books. You know, you can read a book, and, the, and it's a two-dimensional thing we're reading. But as we read it, we're able to switch from the two-dimensional into the three-dimensional as our imagination is, is, comes into play. We have the ability to move it into a three-dimensional place. So we're reading a book and suddenly it comes to life and it becomes three-dimensional within our mind. We have the ability to do that as human beings. Amen? When we see a movie, we see it on flat screen, right? Right now we're watching um, The Crown. I love The Crown. Sorry, I love The Crown. And we're watching it on a flat screen in a, in a flat service, but we're able through our imagination to conjure up images and to go into that three dimensions and somehow we see the television in a three-dimensional way. Obviously, we can put on 3D glasses and see it really three-dimensional, but our imagination does that for us. We have a way of switching in between two-dimensional and three-dimensional. So when Philip on the crown is really like in one of those moments where he's finally, you know, hard Philip is opening up and realizing that he's got some issues of his heart. I love that. And he's sitting there and and divulging to a room full of ministers that, you know, perhaps 
he's lost God and, and he's lost himself somewhere in the hardness of his heart. Well, when he's going through that, I'm in the room with him. I'm sitting there with him. I'm feeling his emotions. I'm feeling everything. And it becomes so three-dimensional to me. So we have the ability as human beings to flip in and out of two-dimensional and three-dimensional living. Does everyone agree with that? You understand that? But the thing is, the Bible clearly teaches us that there is another dimension. The Bible clearly teaches us that as Christians, as born-again believers through the blood of Jesus Christ, that there is another dimension that is available to us right there that we can switch in and out of anytime we want to, that we have the same ability to switch into this dimension as we do in the third and the second dimension. We can move straight into that dimension at any time we want to. At any given moment, we can move into that dimension. It's called the fourth dimension. And it's the dimension of the spirit realm. It's the dimension of God. It's a dimension that we are supposed to, as Christians, be able to reach into and grab something from and bring it back into this dimension. See, we're not just third dimensional beings. We are third and fourth dimensional beings. Let me prove it to you. When Adam walked in the garden, who did he walk with? He walked with God. Was God unseen? Was he in an an unseen realm? Or what did it say? He walked with God and he spoke with him. Adam and Eve walked with God and they spoke intimately with God. He was face to face right there. They could touch him. They could feel him. They could see him. They could converse with him. So Adam and Eve were living in a fourth dimensional realm. But when they sinned, they were cut off from God. They were cut out of a fourth-dimensional realm and they were forced to live in a three-dimensional world. Is that true? I'm not a scientist here. And I don't understand a lot of the dimensionals, but I do understand the fourth dimension. And I do understand that I want to live there more and more and more and more in my life. Amen? We can see it in the Bible it's, it's, there's so many patriarchs and prophets in the Bible that walk in and out of this dimension. We know that in the Old Testament, it was the prophets, the priests, and the kings that could enter into this fourth dimensional realm and pull something out. But normal everyday people couldn't go there except by you know, extraordinary circumstances. So if we look here uh, in... Uh, Well, let's look at Abraham, for instance. Abraham spoke to God. Abraham heard his voice. And then there was a certain day where angels appeared in the form of men, met with him, sat down and had a meal with him. I thought someone was telling me that's not true. It's true. We'll have a look in Genesis 18. I'm just putting scripture references up here so you can see. The angels had no difficulty moving between a fourth-dimensional world and a third-dimensional world and going back in. I've actually seen angels in the flesh. The Bible tells us, be careful, because you may be entertaining angels unawares. You know, sometimes maybe that poor person sitting in the street is a test for you, and it's an angel. 
seeing whether you will notice that person, whether you will do something. We may be entertaining angels unawares. There may be angels that are walking down the street. You don't even know. I've seen them in their fleshly realm, and then God has revealed to me that's an angel. And then I see the glowing white hair, and I see the glowing face, and they smile at me, and they wink. It's an, it's an incredible thing because you can live in those dimensions. And, you know, we, all, we often think that... Can you just take that for me, Brie? We often think that um, it's just like, you know, the people that are up there and out there that live, can live in these dimensions. We always read about the miracles that people do and the stuff that people do. You know, one of my favorites is Heidi Baker. You know, she's in Africa and doing incredible things. But went over there just out of a brokenness before God. She went, she went to a revival meeting, got smashed on the floor. God showed her children in Africa. And he said that I will always provide for these children. You just go rescue them. And so she goes into Africa. She starts an orphanage. Now she, I think she has, you know, I don't really know the number, but thousands of churches now in Africa through her and ministries and orphanages. But there was one particular time, and, and this woman, she just lives with Jesus. She just lives with Jesus. She has such, I've seen her preach. She's a hopeless preacher because all she can do is go, oh, Jesus, and fall on the floor and cry. And it's like, but everyone in the room gets touched in the meantime. She hardly says a word. It's like, you know, like you're waiting for, you know, come on. I have heard her preach and she is a great preacher. Sorry about that, Heidi, if you hear this. If you're ever listening to my podcast, Heidi, uh, I love you. Uh, You're my hero. But anyway, So there was this one day where there was this, you know, I'm trying to stretch your faith a little here. There was this one day where there was these, um, uh, what do they call them over there, Garth, where they come with machetes, rebels, do they call them? Rebels. And they were coming, they were going to kill all the children in the orphanage. And she had, at that time, she had about 40 children in this orphanage. And she knows in the middle of the night, she's got to get up with these 40 children. She's got no food. She's got no water. She's got no supplies. She's got to run through the jungle. How many people know that there's some lions in the jungle and whatever in the jungle? She's got to run through. And she's got to find somewhere to hide these children from these rebels that want to kill them. She finds this big house. She knows it's a Christian home. It's a huge house on property. She goes up and knocks on the door. And she says to the man, she pleads with him, please, do you have food for my children? And he, he just goes, I don't have any food. And he shuts the door because he doesn't want any trouble. He doesn't want the rebels coming to his house. He's self-protecting. And she, and she knocks again. You've got to have food for these children. They're starving. They're thirsty. You can't say to 40 children, go in, you know, gack into the jungle and die. And he goes, no, I don't have any food. And he shut the door again. And as she was standing there crying, God reminded her of when she was laying on the altar, when she had an encounter with God, when God said to her, I promised you these children would never go without I promised you I would always supply, didn't I? He said, knock on the door and ask him for bowls. So she knocked on the door, have you got any bowls? Can you just give me bowls? And he's going, what do you need bowls for? You've got no food. Just give me bowls and I will show you who my God is. And he passed out the bowls. She passed the bowls to the children. As she passed them out, they're filling with food. They're just filling with food. See, she, she reached into a fourth dimensional realm said, well, the need's not here for these children, but I know God says, suffer not the little children, bring them unto me. And I know that my God said that they would never, ever, would would there not be enough for these children if you go and you rescue them. He promised me that. So she reached into the promise of God. She reached into a place where people never go and said, God, you provide for these children. Well, he did, and he fed them. You know, a little while later, he says to her, you know how you did that? 
feeding the children thing? And she went, yeah. He said, well, I want you to go to the president and I want you to say to him, it was drought, there was famine. Say to him, gather 10,000 people together, have 10,000 bowls and I will fill them and I will prove to him that I am the God he should worship. So she goes to him and she tells him and he laughs his head off. And he, and he said, ah, ha, ha, we'll test your God. I'm going to get 30,000 people here. And he got 30,000. She says, as long as you have 30,000 bowls. And so he did. And they gathered all these hungry, starving people. And, and, and she just said, hand out the bowls. That's all she said. She didn't get up and preach a sermon. She didn't get up and do, just hand out the bowls. And they started handing out the bowls and the bowls were filling with food and 30,000 hungry people were fed that day. And this president fell on his face and recognized Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And a whole, a whole country is coming to Christ because someone reached in. See, someone reached in and we've got these examples right through the Bible. What about Moses? What about Moses? He's on the mountain and he was able to see the glory of God walk by him in Exodus 33, 18 to 23. What about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? They're in the fiery furnace. They're burning. They're supposed to be burning. They're in, they, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Nebuchadnezzar kept saying, if they're going to worship that God, if they're going to pray to that God, we'll burn them. Turn it up, turn up the heat, turn up the heat. It didn't matter how hot they, they turned that heat up. These men are standing there and they're not burning. But then Nebuchadnezzar said, look, there's a fourth man in the fire with them. Right. What happened? Through the faith of these men, an unsaved king an ungodly king, a a king that worshipped idols and probably satanic worship, standing there because of the faith of these three young men who says, if we perish, we perish, but we will worship our God. And they were open. There was something on their lives that opened up the fourth dimension and there's another man standing in the fire with them and an unsaved king could see it because the dimension that they opened was open to him. They opened something that opened his eyes through their faith and the dimension of God was opened up to an unsaved king. Everybody knows what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, the the God that Daniel worships, after several encounters like this, he finally gave in. The God that Daniel worships, I command everybody worship this God. God, how much do we need this in in our time? You know, and I'm not asking you to jump through hoops and, you know, pass out bowls and see food appear. I mean, there, there are levels of faith, you know, but, but where do we start? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What about Daniel met an angel by a riverbank and was told secrets that he was told would be locked away until the end of days, until a certain time, until a, what's the word? No, there's a time. There's a time. Appointed time. Thank you, Joshua. It pays to go to Bible college. (laughs) Appointed time. So Daniel, he's been given these secrets. God opens up a fourth dimension to Daniel and shows him things that will take place in the future, way in the future, way in the future, way in the future. And then he says, Daniel, lock these up 
these secrets up until an appointed time. Well, I want to say to you right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, it's the appointed time. It's the appointed time. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was in, the, in the presence of the Lord and I was in the spirit and I felt like I saw all, like clouds above me and I saw angels with keys in their hands leaning over. There was all these angels with keys and, and I saw the angels begin to drop the keys and then I saw hungry people, people reaching up and grabbing keys, a lot of them being fivefold people and people... A lot of them, I knew that most of these people that were grabbing the keys were people that had been in obscurity, people that had been hidden. They weren't the famous and the, and the successful. They weren't the ones with their faces on Charisma magazine. They were people that had been, been trained by God in a secret place and not been allowed to give a platform. And there they were in their secret places, in their caves, in their, in their homes, in their workplaces, because they had set themselves apart for God and no one else knew it. In the secret places of their heart, they set themselves apart for God. And God said, I'm going to trust them with my secrets. And I saw them grabbing keys like that and then pulling them down. And there were secrets. Every key had a secret that's going to unlock the kingdom of God in this day. Every key had a secret. And they weren't just like, I'm telling you, they weren't just famous people pulling these keys down. They were like Shane Hutchinson's who just said, I want more God. I want, I want to know what you're doing in this day. You know, I want you, God. How, how many of you have got a divine frustration right now? Or three? Who am I preaching to? <laughs> Jesus, help me. Help me, God. How many of you have got a divine frustration? When you see people dying of cancer, when you see you know, the evil that's being unleashed, when you see the, the laws that are being passed that are, that are degrading and, and disgusting, when you see laws being passed to kill babies by their thousands and thousands, you know, when we see these things, do we just sit back? Do we just sit back and live in our comfort Christianity? Or do we say, God, give me a key. Give me a key, God. I need a key. Many years ago in Wang High School, there was a, a suicide pact of 30 kids. And they'd made a suicide pact with each other to die and meet on the other side. 30 kids. They'd made a video. It was a video back in that day, going back to 1996 or 7, 96. And, and we just started our church. And they made a video on how to hang yourself successfully. One kid had already died. No one knew who the other 29 kids were. It was a secret. They were vowed to secrecy. They'd made a vow. They'd made some sort of covenant together that they were going to meet on the other side. 30 kids. 29 to go. And I see the mother's face on TV. And she's looking straight at me. And she said, is there anybody out there who can help us? And I just broke my I said we're the church we're the church we should be able to do something about this we don't oh poor people and I started to cry out to God God you've got a key you've got a key to that I know you have 
I know there's a key to this. Help me, God. Help me see God. And I began to see this vision of all these ministers on Wang High School, and they were down on their knees, and they were crying, and they were crying over the land. And I went, oh, God, I'll never get the ministers together. We were brand new in the ministry. We were still forming the fraternal in the local area. And I said, God, they won't listen to me. I'm a crazy prophet. They're not going to listen to someone like me. And I'm going, God. And, and so this, we, we heard that John Dawson was up in Newcastle. And John Dawson, taking your cities for God. He, in those days, we were reading his books about, you know, breaking strongholds, taking your cities for God. So we drove up there. And after he finished preaching, I went up. He's a famous person. And I went up and I said, John, I've got to talk to you about something. Oh, before you speak, he said, let me say this. You are Deborah. And God is going to give you keys on how to unlock things, smash, and I'm on the ground. No, I don't want to be on the ground. I'll talk to you. Like Anyway, so I got up eventually and told him what was going on. He took his card out of his pocket. He said, Julie, I trust God is going to give you the, 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 the rest of the picture. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to walk the streets. Here's my card. I'm covering you. Go in John Dawson's name. Well, I'll just go in Jesus' name, but John Dawson will help me, you know. And so, and so I came back. That afternoon, I was praying and fasting. I got a phone call from a lady that I knew, and she said, look, you might want to know this. I work in a local nursing home, and I'm nursing this old Aboriginal lady, and um, she just said something really strange to me. She was watching the news about the suicides, and she said something strange to me. She said, oh, I know why they're happening. It's the curse on the land. We Aboriginals put a curse on the land when they slaughtered our men. And we, we, we put a curse that there would always be single mothers and fatherless children. And on that ground of Wang High School, she said, that's where we did it. So I went, yes. And so I went, I kind of know what to do about that, I think. Not really. But you know what? It only takes a willing person. It only takes someone that has enough love for humanity to be a fool. Just reach into a dimension that I don't know anything about. So I, we rang the local ministers. By grace, we said, look, we think we've got a key how to, how to unpack and un, um, solve this mystery. They came. There was about seven churches represented. We stood on the oval and I'm thinking, okay, God, make this nice, light and easy, you know, for these guys, Anglicans and Catholics and everything were there. It was like... Don't make me look like a Fruit Loop. I'm, you know, I don't want to eat turd and cook it and stuff like Elijah or whatever. And um, and he and he says and he says, tell them to all get on their knees. That was fine. That was in the vision. We all got on our knees and we repented for the sins of the land. We said, God, we are so sorry for the slaughter that's happened on this land. We are so sorry. We stand in the gap and we break every contract of death. In the name of Jesus Christ, we tear it up. We sow our tears into this soil and we wash away the bloodshed that's on this land and we ask you to release our young people. Then that was fine. That was amazing. I said, God, that is so good. And then he said, okay, look to your left. I looked to my left and there was a big black horse with the spirit of death sitting on it going, ah, ah, like, oh, great. Okay, so I'm not going to tell them about that. But I felt to say, let's go to this end of the oval and we'll all line up 
And then we're going to just give a shout of victory for the freedom of these kids. And we're going to run towards that side of the oval. So you should see Ethan creases in his garb and everything. And when I say on the count of three, we're going to go, ah! And we're going to run, Jesus! We're going to run, Jesus! And we all ran down like that. And I saw this black horse leave. I didn't tell them about the black horse. I was like, oh, that's too much. And off, off it goes. Anyway. This is a long story cut short, very long story cut short. And so that Saturday night, the next Saturday night, that was a Sunday, the next Saturday night, we were going down to Youth Alive, we were taking a bus load of kids and we would just, we would hire a bus and we'd pay tickets for kids to go and just get all street kids to come. And so we had a whole bus load of these kids and we knew, we didn't know them. And we went down to Youth Alive, Christine Kane got up to speak, we were way up the top in the bleachers, and Christine Kane said, look, before I preach, you know, there's a, there's a tragedy that's happening on the Central Coast at Wyong. There's a suicide pact between 30 kids. We need to pray. And as soon as I started praying, all these kids, there were so many kids that we'd bought, started wreathing on the floor like snakes and, and going, ah! And I'd go, are you part of that pact? You know, and they go, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to be part of this anymore. And so we were able to pray with those kids. We took them down to Christine Kane. They got saved. I think there was about six of them there, was there? No, there was 13. 13 of them, which was a good number. And, uh, and they, they got set free. And so we turned up to church on the Sunday. This is Saturday night. Turned up to church the next morning, ready to pray early. And there was all these kids waiting out the front. They said, these are the other kids. They don't want to die either. And so we brought them into the church. We prayed for them. They all got delivered. Oh, incredible deliverance. Broke covenants with death. Got saved. And, um, and you know, God always said about us that we'd be nameless, faceless people, that we would do stuff that no one would know about, which is fine with us. That's good. We fly under the radar a lot. And... Um, a few weeks later, we were watching Benny Hinn, and John Dawson was on Benny Hinn. He said, oh, Benny, I've just got to tell you, there's an amazing thing that just happened. I was just in this town, I think it's sort of south of Newcastle, somewhere in Australia, and there was these pastors from some church there that I don't know the name of, but, and he told the whole story. It was just, and I said, we why on? We just made it on the Benny Hinn show and no one knows. It's like, <laughs> oh, God is amazing. I love it. I love it. So God's been teaching us about this as the years go by, about, about there is fourth dimensional things that we can pull in and we don't have to sit around and put up with stuff, you know. We don't have to just bow our knee and go, well, the world's in control, you know. No, we have the answers. We are the voice. We have the authority and the power that's been given to us by Jesus Christ to really, really, really make a difference. Amen? Hallelujah. And so I saw these keys being released and I saw different people with the keys and they were all secrets that God had locked up for now of how we're going to move. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the imagination of man what God has in store for those who love him. But God said this to me, Julie, I'm going to cause you to gather the people together who have got the keys and you watch what I do when I've got a set of keys in my hand. Whoa. And obviously it don't, won't be just me. Obviously there's others that are causing the gathering to happen of people and the drawing of people that feel like 
I want to make a difference. I have I want to make it. I feel like I've got a key. I feel like I've got a revelation from God about the day we're living in. Let's put all our revelations together and let's paint a picture of something that Daniel saw all that time ago. Let's paint the picture of what God really wants to do on the earth rather than lukewarm Christianity, which he doesn't want. I love this. Elisha could see the armies of God in the heavens and ask for his servant's eyes to be opened so that he could also see. His servant's eyes were then opened, showing that it is possible to petition God to see beyond the natural, even for someone else, which I'm doing this morning. I am actually petitioning God right now on your behalf, and at the end, I want to pray for people because I honestly believe that some eyes are going to be opened and some realms are going to be entered into this morning that will take you to a totally different place in your Christian life. We'll go from beggars to doers. How long do we have to live as Christian beggars? Please, God, will you do this? Please, God. Will you do that? Please, God, will you do this? And he just, I told you to do it. Why are you begging me? I already gave you the keys. I already gave you the authority. I already gave you. Jesus' blood was shed so we could move from third dimensional into fourth dimensional, from third dimensional into fourth dimensional at any given time. That's why the scriptures say, so through the blood of Jesus, you can boldly come into the throne of grace. What does that mean? Oh, I can go there and beg? Or can I move into a fourth dimensional before the throne of grace and pull down something that God has already released for earth? For my friend, Meg would be dead and buried right now if this church did not believe that there was a fourth dimension. Wouldn't you, Meg? We'd be crying over a grave. We'd be saying, oh, poor Meg. Remember her? She was, used to cook the best stuff in the cafe. No, but she's here and she's alive. And she got married and she's in love. And she's got a future and she's got a hope. And they're planning their future together. And they're decorating houses and doing all kinds of stuff because God, because there is a fourth dimension that we can pull in from. I love this. I'm going to read this scripture to you because I think it's really incredible. Two Kings, this is about Elisha and his servant. Two Kings 6, 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Now you've got to see there's these two men. There's Elisha and his servant. And they're coming to kill them. And there's a whole army coming to kill two men. And they're locked up in a house and they can see out. And Elisha's servant looks out and tells him, got up, went out early next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asks. See, but one who knew says, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hallelujah. 
He opened his eyes and saw because someone petitioned to have his eyes opened in Jesus' name. Jesus also moved between the third and the fourth dimension. What about when Jesus returned after his resurrection and he was seen in the flesh, yet he was able to walk through walls? He was seen in the flesh, yet he was able to walk through walls. You are flesh, but you're able to walk through a wall, an invisible wall from the unseen realm, from the seen realm into the unseen realm and back into the seen realm. We have the authority and the ability to go between those two realms at any time we want to. And it's time for us to stop being defeated Christians, sitting around waiting for something to happen when Jesus gave us the keys 2,000 years ago and you think by now we'd know how to use them. But hallelujah, he's teaching us afresh. Thank you for his mercy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's good. The Apostle Paul also tells us that he knew a man, which is thought to be himself. He says, I knew a man, he was talking about himself, who was taken up into the third heaven and saw things too wonderful to be described. Such was the experience that he wasn't even sure if he was physically in the body or in the spirit. We know that the disciples were often in this zone. How many of you know the disciples were often in the fourth dimension? Where did they pull the miracles from? Why, when Peter walked along the street, were people healed by his shadow? Did he live in a dimension that actually when his shadow was cast on people, that the dimension fell on them? I would say yes. They were, they were translated. We know Philip was speaking to the eunuch, and he's, he's talking to the eunuch, and he's, and he's conversing, and he baptizes the eunuch. And then it says here, I'll, I'll read it so I know I'm saying it true. Philip found him, no, hang on. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town. No, I'll say it here. The eunuch saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and every town along the way. From one moment in time, he's with a eunuch, he's baptizing a eunuch, and the next moment he's in another town preaching the gospel. They were often translated, translated into different spaces. My God, God is going to do some great things amongst us and we have to be open to the realm of God. There's, a, there's some prayer people in the States that, are, that actually there's someone that's just written a book about translating and, 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 and encouraging us that God is with us to show us realms beyond, to help humanity. See, we're here to help humanity. We'd be gone to heaven by now if we didn't have work to do, but there's a work to do. Every one of us are involved in that work. We're not Sunday Christians. We're here to help humanity. And there's a group of prayer people, prophetic people, who have been helping the, the, um, the elite crime squad in the States to solve mysteries because they go into dreams and visions and then they tell the police where these things are happening. The police said, well, we, we, it's great that you've been telling us these things and we don't want to know how you know these things, by the way, but it's great you're helping us, but a purple house on the corner of a street that's got a tree on it is not helping us that much. Sometimes we can, you know, sometimes we can find things, sometimes we can't. So this head of this group started to really pray and she started to really seek God. God, 
Because the police said to them, we need coordinates. We need coordinates. And so they started to pray, and their main aim is to uncover child sex trafficking. That's their main aim of this group, to uncover child sex trafficking in the United States of America. So this lady started to pray. She's in bed, she's holding her phone, and she's praying over a list that she's got on her phone in her pyjamas. The next minute, she's standing in a warehouse, and there's little 10-year-old girls tied up and bound, sitting on this dirty warehouse floor around her, and she's going, oh, God, showing me in a vision where these girls are, but I need coordinates, God. The next minute, the girls started to go like this, trying to get her attention because they could see her. The next minute, the guy with the gun sees her and starts running at her with the gun. What are you doing here yelling at her? She's in her pyjamas with a phone in her hand. And just as she was about, he was about to, to come near her, she hit the coordinates and was back in bed. She goes to the police. She said, this is a child sex trafficking ring. They went there. I think there was 16, 10-year-old girls. They said, they set free that night. Ten little girls that were going to be sold into sex slavery. Because why? Because someone reached in somewhere and found something. And we go, oh yeah, but that's those freaky people. That's those weird people. Well, guess what? We are peculiar people. <laughs> we are. We are all peculiar people. We are not of this world. We are in the world, but not of it. We're of a different realm. We've been put into a third dimensional realm so we can make a difference, but we're of a fourth dimensional realm. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're back in the garden, walking with God, talking with God, and we can have whatever he has in his hand to give to humanity and to give to this world in Jesus' name. Amen? You know, I'm just going to tell you one more story. I know I I love stories. Who likes stories? (laughs) 2 Corinthians 12, 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. Carrie Ann is one of the new, new people in our church. She's not here this morning, but she gives me permission to share with you about her little eight-year-old boy. They were going to an Anglican church. They got saved and baptized in an Anglican church about 18 months ago. And the Lord started to give her dreams and visions and show her things that obviously were not understood by the people around her. So they came here going, you know, they heard about this church that maybe they'll understand you. Maybe they'll get you what you're about. So she came here with her little boy, just the two of them in in her family that are saved. Her husband's still seeking. And she said, from the minute we walked into this church, I understood dreams and visions. And she came to me and she said, you might think I'm weird and freaky, but I'm having dreams and visions and I see symbols and I understand what they mean and I've been praying them through, but no one seems to understand me. I said, oh, I love you. Um, I'll adopt you, you know. And so, and so I adopted her and I've been, you know, she's been coming to my prophetic school. So she goes home from my prophetic school and she shares with her eight-year-old little boy about how I'm teaching them to walk into these dimensions, how I'm teaching them that there is a third heaven that they can enter into that this throne of God is available to all of us and her eight-year-old little boy says to her oh mum I always go there and she goes oh really and he goes yeah I go there all the time and he started to describe the angels and the throne of God and the sea that he saw there of crystal and he's describing what's in the bible to her and she goes oh next time you go there like don't just look around can you ask Jesus a question and he said yeah sure mum I'll go there now 
And he just goes. And he goes, okay, I was there. And she goes, right, just now? And he goes, yeah. And she said, he said, so I asked Jesus a question. I asked Jesus what his favorite color is. And Jesus said, I don't really have a favorite color because my colors are love and they are life. I don't know, but yeah, I just got goosebumps. Next year, we're looking at running a course by Sean Boltz in our church once a month in our kids' church that unlocks the prophetic gift in children. Because we have got at least 11 children that I know of that are regularly visiting the supernatural world, having dreams and visions. And I'm not going to ignore that. I don't know about you, but we're we're not going to ignore that as a leadership team. God is preparing a generation. So next year, once a month, we're going to run a course in kids' church. I think it's called Hearing the Voice of God for Children. I'm not sure the real name of it. And it's got all the curriculum and everything that kids need to just understand what they're seeing, what they're feeling, and what dimensions they're walking in. It's amazing, isn't it? The Bible says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And honestly, we, we do not want to disappoint. Amen? We don't want to disappoint them. This is my last point. And then I want to pray for people. Don't be afraid of God. We're so timid with God. You know, we say there's an anointing on this altar. Come out and receive an anointing and two people come out. Like, are you hungry? Do you really want something? Are you afraid? Are you too preoccupied? What, 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 is, what is it could be more important than meeting with God? You, you want to go and get a coffee? Like, what, what is more important than meeting with God? God, this is his house. And he said to you, come into my lounge room. I'm going to have a one-on-one conversation with you. And we go, oh, well, that's for the crazy people that go to the altar. God, I'm going to have a coffee. Yes, you're crazy, Katrina. In Genesis 32, 22 to 31, we see Jacob wrestling with God. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of Jabak. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions And so Jacob was left alone. There's something about this connection God wants to have with us as individuals. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, the Bible tells us this man was the angel of God. When the angel of God has a capital, it usually means Jesus. Has that got a capital in that scripture? The angel of God, well, they don't say the angel of God, they say a man. But a lot of theologians believe this was an angel and possibly could have been Jesus himself. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. 
And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, he wanted the blessing. He'd been a deceiver and he'd got the blessing, but it was in the wrong way. He'd lived out the blessing, but maybe it wasn't in the right way. He wanted the real blessing. I'm not gonna let you go unless you bless me. He's wrestling with an angel all night. The angel can't overcome him. He is so determined that he's gonna get the blessing of God on his life. He wrestles with his angel all night. And he ended up blessing him. You know, in Revelations 4, 1 to 2, if you could, have you got that scripture, Ellie? Put that up. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. After this, I looked and a door standing before me in heaven. Open, open in heaven. Did you have the other versions of that, Ellie? I think I did have it. Yeah. Oh, here, I've got it here. No, I don't. I want to read it. Yeah, I want to read it from here. It's fine, thanks. Thank you. The prophetic is saying that we are now, we have entered into Revelations 4.1. That the whole world and the church age has shifted into kingdom age and we've entered now into Revelations 4.1. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard, like the sound of war trumpets speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. At once I was in special communication with the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Let me read it to you in another translation. Then suddenly, after I wrote down, oh, this is the same translation, sorry. Suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, no, this is a different translation, isn't it? This is passion, awesome. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, look at this, I want you to look at this, I saw a heavenly portal open before me and the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Instantly, I was taken into the fourth dimension. Instantly, I was taken into the spirit realm. And behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated on it. A few months ago, I was with a group of apostles and prophets. We were having a a convergence of our thoughts. We were bringing our keys together and talking about what we thought God was doing on the earth. And and I was asked to pray over one of the leading apostles in our nation. I was, I won't say the word, but I was really nervous. Imagine that. How would you like that, Andy? Oh, you know, come over here, Andrew, and, and prophesy over. You're a prophet? Prophesy. It's like... Huh? Like, what? And I was shaking. And I really respect this apostle. Like, honestly, she's one of the greatest leaders in our nation. And it was the first meeting I'd had with her. I thought, I really want to impress her. Who'd want to do that? Who'd want to impress? You know, you want to go, 
oh great, finally someone's recognising that I'm a prophet and it's an apostle over the nation and I'm, I should say a really smart things and then she's going to go, you're an amazing prophet and I'll give you a platform. It was like, so I went over, I just shakingly just laid my hand, I got down on my knees, laid my hands on her knees and I began to pray in the Spirit and I kept praying in the Spirit and I, and I kept praying in the Spirit and I kept praying in the Spirit. I said, Lord... Give me an interpretation for something. And he said, Julie, I don't want you to speak in English. I just want you to pray in the Spirit. That's all I want you to do. And so I went, sure. If that's all you want me to do, Lord, I'll humble myself before you and I'll just pray in the Spirit. So I finished praying and I got up and went, okay. Sat down. (laughs) And this apostle looked at me and said, you know what just happened to me, Julie? Because of the anointing that's on your life, you just took me into a portal. You opened a portal over my life and I saw something over the nation of Australia that, I, that, that has been spoken to me many times and it was just reiterated to me in the spirit realm. I went, what? She said, yeah. Do you know you're a native prophet? A native prophet. And I went, What's a native prophet? She said, it's a prophet that regularly can go into the realm of God and come back. But when they lay hands on people or they pray for people, the portal that's over their lives opens over other people and they're able to take people into that realm. And I was just blown away. I I knew that, you know, I know when I pray for people, sometimes people go into places, sometimes people have deliverance. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I just did a women's conference on Saturday. It was a nice women's conference. I preached a nice word. I did a nice altar call and five women were delivered of demons. I didn't mean it. One old lady in her 70s was dying and I saw the spirit of death start to groan at me. She's like a seven-year-old lady. She's going, shivers. That's not nice for a 70-year-old lady to be doing that. We need to stop that. So I just said, spirit of death, leave her. Ah, she's released. She came up to me afterwards. She said, I've been under the oppression of this sickness for most of my life. And you just set me free. I felt myself be set free from the spirit of death. Do you know, when you walk in a realm, it's okay not to mean the kingdom sneaking out of you, leaking out of you. Because that's how we're supposed to live. We're all supposed to live like that. And so this week, the Lord spoke to me and he said, actually it was last week, I wrote it down in my journal. He said, I'm increasing the anointing of, of the portal over your life. Does that, do people understand what portal is? A portal is, a, is an open heaven between heaven and earth that's open, where God can freely flow through. And you know that there are portals across the earth. We see it because most of the portals that are open across the earth are filled with new age and satanic stuff. So we always know where a portal is. When Phil and I came to Wyong, we knew a portal was open over this place, but it had been filled up with other stuff. So we decided to move the other stuff and reclaim the portal. Therefore, God was able to flow freely in this region and in and, and this area. But, but the Lord said to me, he said, just as there's a portal over 
your individual life because you've learned to walk in that realm. He said, I'm about to release portals over individuals through you. I'm going to start to unlock portals over people, not just over regions, not just over cities, but over people. And I'm going to unlock a heavenly realm. When you pray for them, a portal is going to be unlocked and they're going to be able to walk in realms they never walked in before. So stand your feet right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And if you want this, run to the front. I'm not, I'm not going to convince you. Pray. I'm not going to argue with you. If you want a portal over your life, make sure you just line up neatly. Just give me a line first and everyone else stay back. One line. Everyone else stay back for the moment. Everyone else stay back. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God. 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 And if you're there, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Just begin to enter in yourself. And we'll call you forward in a moment. Amen. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just be ready. Fill up. Fill up. Open the portal. Open the portal. There's a baby here, so can you get a chair, please? Thank you, Jesus. 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 Open. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Selfless faith to live like Christ for all our days.